This is episode 307 of the Wildlife Photography Podcast. In this episode, how to photograph leopards. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from WildEye. It is Friday, I was supposed to get this episode out yesterday, but it kind of ran away from me a little bit. And so I'm working from home today, it is cold and miserable, it's about to rain out here in Johannesburg. And this particular episode you need to write down is number 307. The other ones that link with this that you might want to go and check if you haven't yet was number episode 265 and episode 176. So in reverse order, 176 was how to photograph elephants. And the idea behind that episode and these ones as well is basically to just share some ideas and thoughts on how to photograph an elephant. But it has to do with animal behavior. It has to do with seeing those definitive wildlife moments. If you joined my webinar um, in this last week or so, I spoke about seeing wildlife images and seeing those definitive moments. So in the elephant one, for example, we spoke about when the trunk comes up, when the ears are open, what to look for from the side, the tusks. Lion one was a bit more behavior based, which was episode 265. And that had to do with the interaction between the animals, when they yawn, how they, what, the whole thing. Right, so we're gonna step it up now, and in this episode, we're gonna be talking about how to photograph leopards. Now, it goes without saying that in order to photograph a leopard, you first have to find one, <laughs> which for a lot of people is not always that easy. I mean, my uncle, Uncle Vic, he went and he goes to the bush often. I mean, he grew up in South Africa, so it's, it's been a thing for him. And he took 65 years of going to the bush before he ever saw his first leopard. So it's not that common, and I think people often look at us and what we do, and they look at our feeds, and there's all these incredible leopard shots. It's time in the field. So the first thing is you have to find a leopard. Sorry, I'm just going to go around a quick rabbit hole on, the, on my uncle's story. So he, he's been going to the bush and self-drive safaris and stuff for a long, long time, and to the Kruger, to Itasha, all over the place. And it was, I think about three years ago, he joined me in the Mara, at our Mara camp for a trip. And um, we... It was very, very evident, and I made it very clear to all my guides, Jimmy and Sammy and them, that this man has not seen a leopard yet. Fixed it. So anyway, so we keep going, and it's an amazing week. There's awesome leopard sights. Oh, God, I wish. There's awesome lion sightings and crossings and everything. And on the one day, I'm sitting with Jimmy and two clients in the car. We're at uh, Vum, um, which one? Maui Maui, the crossing point. And there's a, there's a massive crossing happening. And suddenly, on our side of the bank, a leopard, which we didn't even know was there, smashes a baby wildebeest next to the river. I'm, I mean, Eric and who else was, I think England was with me in the car. They lose their shit because, oh my God, they take pictures. And um, I then get on the radio and I say, listen, wherever Sammy is, because Vic was in Sammy's car, come now. Anyway, so they are chasing towards us to get this man his first ever leopard sighting. And the leopard now drags this baby wildebeest up the hill and towards the bushes. And I'm like panic now because, oh my God, it's not going to happen. Literally, as the leopard pulled the baby wildebeest into the bushes, the car arrives. So he still didn't see his leopard. But, but, we had a drink that evening. It was fine. And I think in the trip, we did see one later in the week. So that was all fun and, fun and games. But anyway, let's get back on track. How to photograph a leopard. First, you have to find one. Then, you need to start looking at, first of all, your camera choices and your lens choices. Because... Often, leopards are in very thick and dense vegetation. So, it kind of goes without saying that if you were to shoot wide, like a 1635, 24-70 type range, you're going to end up with an image with a leopard in it, but with a crap load of vegetation. Right? 
I'm just thinking of something else. I was in Standard 4 years ago, and uh, we went on like some leadership course thing to the Kruger National Park. And I mean, this is like 50 kids for, for uh, Standard 4, and my mom gave me this little point and shoot camera at the time. And we saw cheetahs on this trip. So I took a picture, and it wasn't a zoom, it was these little disposable things, right? So I took a picture and of these cheetahs. We came back, we went to CNA in the old days where you did your um, image exposures, and they had something called the boo-boo bin. So you would check your images, and if you didn't want it, you threw it away and they didn't charge you for it. So my mom's going through these images with me, most of crap, let's be honest. But then she gets to my cheetah shot, and it literally looks like just a grassland. There's nothing in this. So she throws it away, and I lose my shit. It's like, come on, that's my cheetah shot. So I take it out, I take a pencil, and I circle, two little circles in the middle of this image, which was the cheetah. It was like dust spots in today's world. It was tiny. Anyway, so, okay, I'm back on track now. So if you are photographing leopards, you need to initially go with bigger glass. So you're looking at your three, four, five, even 600 mil range, because the leopard might be up a tree and you only have a small narrow window to shoot through. It might be in the thick foliage under the tree and you might have to get close. So initially, and this is not always, but initially you will more than likely with the leopard go with big glass. You would start focusing on the eye. You would go tight on the whiskers. Even, and this is something a lot of people dismiss, is the abstract of animals. So if you're looking up at the tree and this animal's sleeping on a branch, you often have a ridiculously narrow gap where you can see the spot pattern. So in that instance, beanbag your camera, or if you have a tripod, if that's your thing, beanbag it, manual focus until you hit the focus on the pattern of the cat, and then shoot. In that instance, you want to use a super, super shallow depth of field. So on your long lens, it's probably about an f4. Um, if you're shooting a 400 2.8, even better, or 300 2.8, also good. But there you're looking at creating the animal in its environment. So it would be in the middle of your frame, or wherever you compose it, you would have the spot pattern, and then the soft bouquet behind, hopefully, of the foliage. And in the front, you would then also have something out of focus. So that would initially be the kind of shot that if, if it's your first cat and it's in the thick stuff, that you would get. Right. Do not get to your first sighting and expect miracles. Leopards are super, super secretive. And the stuff we often see on Instagram is the exceptions. Them walking everywhere and just in the open. It does happen. But prepare yourself for not having a clear shot. Right. Um, I think also a lot of people are too obvious with their photography in that they only shoot the, the, the straight up things. So when you start shooting like the patterns through foliage or through, on, through leaves in a tree or whatever the case might be, right? You are basically telling the viewer of your image the story of that animal. It's a personification of the secretive nature of the cat. He's in the foliage, you can almost not see him. So that's the first thing, right? Now, let's jump through a different few scenarios here. Yawning. That's very similar to lions. So you, you can go and listen to episode 265 and the yawning thing. But uh, leopards do a very similar thing when they yawn. So depending on, and this is one mistake that a lot of people make, depending on the direction that the cat is pointing in at the time that you want to make your image. Let's say it's facing you, right? People zoom in and then they wait for it. Go portrait orientation. If the cat is facing you and it's going to yawn, turn portrait orientation and zoom back a bit. Let me tell you why. Portrait orientation, the energy when a cat yawns directly at you is up and down because you're going to see the bottom and the top teeth at the top and the bottom of your frame, right? So that's first. So enhance the visual energy that's going up and down by composing in portrait. Okay, then here's another thing. People zoom in too tight when this happens. What happens when he's yawning? 
they will drop the chin slightly, the tongue comes out slightly, then they do a little bit of dip of the head and then they move up as they open the mouth. They move the head up quite a bit. So if you are too tight to start with, you're more than likely going to chop the head off. Or, even worse, you're going to chop the bottom of the jaw off. So rather pull back a little bit on that yawn facing you and crop in. Way safer. Now, if the cat is, for example, facing one of the sides and it also yawns, I would again, if you want to do a side profile of the cat yawning, same thing applies. Don't zoom in too tight. Um, give it some space at the top and bottom and crop in if necessary. If you're further back, then you could probably look at a landscape type image. And depending on which way he's facing, so let's say he's yawning to the left, give me more negative space on the right. So I give my viewer's eye somewhere to run to. Okay, so that's the yawning. That's the kind of basic stuff. Now, leopard walking. A leopard walking is very, very similar to that of a lion. Obviously, the big cats all have this kind of, <laughs> almost like a John Travolta strut happening at times. But the way a cat moves, you can see by the way that they move, what they're going to do and what their mood is. And this draws through all of, all of wildlife. I mean, the way, um, and you can look at your dog, how he's walking when he's excited, when he's sad, when he's hunting a dove or whatever it might be. So you need to still pay attention to the following things when you photograph a leopard walking. And this is either from the side, diagonal or straight from the front. That foot position, right? You do not want to get and look, again, guys, these are just suggestions, but from a dynamic energy point of view in a frame, you do not want to get an image where all four, the animal's feet, the leopard's feet, is flush on the ground because it feels static. In a video, it makes sense, but it feels static in an image. You want to have at least one of the feet up off the floor and preferably one of the front ones. Now, it's just not going to be up in some awkward kind of way. They, they step and then the, the back foot swings through and it's got like a little bit of a bent wrist idea and then it flops it down. Your, your prime shot is when, so I look at the two front feet, so my left foot is plant, planted, is when the right foot swings past, it's still got that bend in the, in the wrist if you will, it's just past the front foot before it starts straightening out. There's gold because it implies movement. Okay, that's for coming towards you diagonal or side to side. Now the tail. Lion's tails are they, they're very useful for them and they make a big impact on our visual imagery in our photography and leopards even more so when leopards are walking and they are 100 percent calm and easy and they do not want to hunt they curl their tail up in like a big c what that does from a behavior point of view underneath the tail there's a flash of white fur now that makes them super visible so in the animal world Think of it as a peace flag, if you will, a white flag of peace, right? That's telling everybody and the birds and the squirrels, all the things that would normally lose their shit when the leopards walk past, that I'm not hunting, we're good. They're still going to alarm call, but he makes himself very visible by popping the tail up. Think of that popped up tail when you are photographing the cat moving. You should know that S curves and C curves in art and in photography are some of the most strongest leading lines that you can get. So pay attention to where that C curve is in your frame. Now, from the side, that's easy. From the diagonal, that's also not too bad. When the cat's walking directly towards you, it can look a bit weird. Because now, if he's walking towards you and the tail, there's a C curve, but it goes away from you. It just looks like a straight up uh, tail from the front. So there you have to be aware, as he's moving, the tail might turn side to side. And you can still get a bit of a C curve, or sometimes even an S curve, as he's moving. 
but keep that in mind. Now, if we stick on the tail theme, sometimes, if you're lucky, you get two, three, sometimes even four leopards together if you've got a baby, a baby, a baby, and a mom, right? There will then be interaction. There's playing, there's, if mom's laying down, the baby will kind of climb over her, or whatever the case is. The problem there is people, first of all, lose their minds because, holy shit, this is an amazing sighting, right? But once you calm yourself down to a mild panic, start looking not only at the technical variables, but also at the behavior that's happening. If, for example, there's a small cub that's going to climb over mom, right? Don't pull back all the way. Don't pull back all the way because the small cub's going to disappear and the theme that you're trying to show me isn't there anymore. Zoom in tight. Slap on the 600, put a converter on and get the cub climbing over mom where you just show mom's body and the pattern in the front with the baby climbing over it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to look at an image and see, ah, there's another leopard in here and it's bigger. So we need to give the viewer of our, of our images a little bit of credit and, 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 and allow them to run with it a little bit in their mind. I think that's a big deal. Okay, with this interaction stuff, what will often happen, two things, and this is the same with lions, is mom's laying down, she's super chill, right? The two babies are playing and then they come with her and they bite her tail and they climb over her. It's pretty awesome. But then once in a while, she might snarl at them. So if you are in a situation, if you're not with me, so I can prep you for that because we'll see it coming, then just be aware. If you see it once, the pattern will repeat. And the baby might come and scratch at mom and she might snarl at him. At that point, where is your focus? Your focus needs to be on mom's face because that's the intensity, right? The snarl at the youngster. If the youngster is at the same focal plane from you, depth of field, not as important. But if the youngster is just behind the subject, then you might want to increase your aperture to like an eight or an 11. So you get enough depth of field to get both sharp and in focus. Again, with any fast moving action, don't zoom in too tight. You're going to cut stuff off. Rather zoom out a little bit and crop in by five or 10% after the fact. The tail, when there's interaction with leopards, that tail sometimes flick, especially if it's hot, and especially if there's insects and stuff around, and that tail will flick every once in a while. So the tail's laying down, the female or the, the, the male's laying down, whatever, and the tail will flick up and it makes the C curve and down, and it flicks up C curve and down. If possible, try and use that as a compositional element. So if there are two of them and they're playing, Imagine, and you have to kind of dream big in these moments. You have to see big, right? Like the what if. I've, I've done this often on trips where I say to people, we're looking at this sighting and it's kind of dull. It's okay, but what if? Let's, let's run some scenarios in our mind. What if that leopard now jumps and the other one curls its tail? Or what if they walk together and the one curls the tail and it goes around her neck, whatever. These things happen, but you have to be aware of it. The tail on a leopard is something that if you have a very active sighting, and some of you might try this. I challenge you just to photograph the tail because it tells us a lot. And that C curve and S curve that it makes can be used phenomenally well. I've even seen a couple of images. I haven't got this personally where the leopard was on like a termite mound. I think it was a female. What was her name? Actually, no, it was a white damn female in Sabi Sands. She was up on a, on, a, on a termite mound. And if you can imagine looking at the scene, she's kind of not flush looking away from us but she's 45 degrees turned away from us, so she's kind of facing away at an angle. She looked over her shoulder and she popped the tail. Phenomenal natural framing. So it's basically, I'm, what I'm saying to you is, if it's hot and you see the leopard's tail very active, lose everything else, focus on the tail, and even if she's laying flat down, even position yourself 
so that if that flick happens, you could use it as like a, a, a frame of her face, of the cup, of the background, whatever. It's amazing. Now, let's take this up a tree. Often, you spot leopards up a tree by the tail hanging down. Okay, so you'll see the tail hanging down, and at a distance, if you trained eyes, like we can sometimes, you drive past a tree, and it's very, very unusual to have a straight, a dead straight branch hanging straight down from a tree. Branches normally have curves and, and leaves or whatever the case might be, but when a leopard is sleeping and it's dead out, then the tail hangs straight down. That's often how you find them. Now, that juxtaposed against, for example, the rough bark of a, of a tree. So you can position yourself, you can put that tree in front of the bark, and then you can play with differences. You can shoot the tail with a very narrow um, depth of field and blur the tree, or you can shoot the tree and have the spots in the foreground out of focus. There's some options there. Also, if this cat is sleeping up a tree, what often happens is if they're really out cold, they are broken tired. They literally hang like, how do I do this? Almost like dirty washing over the tree where they've got one foot on each side, back feet on each side, and they're just hanging on this branch. The feet hanging down can often make for phenomenal abstraction. You can get the paw print from underneath. You can juxtapose it against the, the sky sometimes if you can get close enough. So there's interesting options there if you start looking at, and I've done this many, many times, when you deconstruct your subject. For those of you that haven't heard, if you go into the field and you have a sighting, people often just shoot one thing again and again and again and again. Boring as hell. And your portfolio suffers for it. So what I normally say to them is, okay, cool. Once you've got all your general shots, once you've used all your lenses, once you've tested all your creative possibilities with shutter speed and so on, then start deconstructing your subject. Now, what that means is in today's world, if you go to some of these fancy restaurants and you order a, I don't know, a lemon meringue, then they call it a deconstructed lemon meringue. And they basically give you a plate full of ingredients and they charge you a shit ton of money for it. Okay, so, so the deconstructing of menus and of food got me to this idea. So look at the subject and deconstruct it. Focus on the eye, just the pattern, the whiskers, the point of the tail, the pad, um, the, the, the ears, whatever. So when it's static, you start deconstructing that thing. And a leopard spots, because it, it is such an iconic African print, if you will, juxtapose that put it against the sky against branches in front of the tree if you have two of them phenomenal right to have one in the front one behind uh, just i'm talking the, the whole screen your whole um, image is full of patterns the front ones are in focus the back ones are out of focus so you're creating that little bit of depth with the pattern now one of the iconic leopard shots i've got one and i'm sure some of you might have it but if you haven't this is something to look for is Leopards, like cheetahs, and like I mentioned in a webinar yesterday, um, grizzly bears as well, when they walk, there's often a time where they'll stop, they'll look over their shoulder, and then they'll carry on. Now, either that position, or sometimes they're laying down. So it, picture this for me. The, the leopard is laying flat down, right? His butt is kind of towards us, and then his head's on the far side. If you are low down in your vehicle, right, and that cat lifts his face, you shooting and you basically fill the entire frame from the bottom all the way up because you're shooting portrait orientation. You fill with the print, but then the head is in focus. So literally, the entire image is made up of spots, but the head is a part of it. It's a beautiful thing. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, drop me an email and I'll send you an example. I will. My email, jerry at wildeye.co.za. And um, that, that's something big to look for. Now... The other thing that is an iconic leopard moment is when they go up or down trees. Let's start down because they've got to go up first. So when a leopard's going to go up a tree, 
often you can see where it's going to be. Because whether they have a kill or they're just looking, they'll walk and they'll look at the tree where they're going to go. It happens from distance, right? So once they get close to the tree, you already have to be prepped for it because they'll sit at the bottom of it or stand and they'll look up first. Now, the moment that cat looks up, you fire. There is nothing as beautiful as a close-up portrait of a leopard looking straight up. It is phenomenal, absolutely beautiful. Also, on a side, when that sometimes happens is when they're in the tree with their kill and birds like crows or vultures lands on the top. In the tree, they will also look up because they're trying to defend it. So keep that in mind. So then this animal is now about to go up. What do you do? You have to decide for yourself. You are not going to pan it initially. Surely you're not, right? What you are going to do is you're going to pull back on your lens. You're going to flip to portrait orientation more than likely because the action is going to go up and down, right? The action is going to go up and down and you shooting in portrait will enhance that. And then what you do is you need to try and position yourself so that the, the tree and the uh, cat is at the same focal plane, so i.e. the same distance from you. You do not then try and focus on the cat because you're going to fuck it up. You're going to miss that focus point. You focus on the tree because the cat and the tree is the same distance. So if the tree is in focus, so will the cat be. You then open up your depth of field, 566371, depending on where you're at and how far it is, and then you wait and you shoot. The moment you think he's going to go up, fire. And then afterwards in Lightroom, that's when you can choose the best one of the sequence using servo mode in Lightroom. So that's the up. If, however, and this is this is situational, if you have a tree in an open area like the Masai Mara, uh, in the northern part of the Mara Triangle, and there's that beautiful escarpment in the back, right? And you've got this one tree, and you know that if that cat jumps up, there's nothing else. Then you could maybe pull back, right? If the light is right and everything, and you could then picture this, have one of the umbrella thorn trees on the left, little umbrella at the top, you've got the branch coming down, the leopard's jumping mid-air up, and you've got this beautiful landscape image behind. So, that is kind of the secondary shot. Most people, if it's their first, second, sometimes even their 20th time, all they want is the jump. Then go portrait, zoom out a little bit, and crop if necessary. Now, when a cat's going to come down, right, they will normally take the past path of least resistance. What that means is if they've been sitting in a V of a tree and the tree is leaning over to the, uh, to the right, for example, that cat's not going to jump down to the right because it's further down. He or she will come down and walk down as far as they can and then take the angle that's easiest. So if the tree's leaning from bottom left to top right, that's the road they're going to come. They're going to come top right to bottom left. And normally when they get close to the bottom, they do a jump. So keep that in mind again, is when they start coming down, and I, I used this in a webinar yesterday as well, is they have, they have this walking action when they come down a tree where the shoulders and the elbow kind of pops beautifully. It's a very powerful moment. It shows kind of the power in the shoulders. But your peak action normally is going to be when they get to that point where they jump off. And that's your shot. So the, the mistake people make, and it's twofold, is when the cat even just looks to the ground, they start shooting. Grrr, and then either they buffer, so the camera's memory runs out, yeah, or they stop because they think it's done. Don't stop until that cat's on the floor walking away. And depending on what camera you're shooting, don't keep it in. What you can do, and um, what you can do is keep it in, right, and just shoot, and just keep shooting. That's how it's going to work. So. Those are just some of the ideas 
around how to photograph leopards. It's a, it's a beginning. What I have been thinking about is I'm going to try and do the big five on this. So I'm still going to do buffalo and rhino down the line. And um, we can then even go deeper and do second ones on this. And we can then go from there and even go deeper into the processing of it and stuff like that. So it's an idea. There's so much to these cats. There's the walking, the up and down. It's phenomenal. So when you next head out and you know there's the potential for you to see leopards, I highly, highly recommend, and I always do this with private clients going to a place for the first time, is go and look at videos of the animal. Go and look at pictures of the animal because images will help you fill up your creative kind of uh, storeroom. And when you see these things happen, you almost start getting a gut feel. Ah, oh, I remember one of Jerry's shots. That's what I want to get. And by watching videos of the animal, you start seeing how they move. You start seeing how they move. And that's vital that you know how they move because then you can know when that definitive moment is that you should photograph the cat. Right, guys, that's it. Just some ideas of how you can approach photographing leopards when you go on safari next. Um, when, that, when that is, I have no idea. So just a bit of a quick, uh, what should we call, housekeeping. Uh, South African's borders opened yesterday to international travel. However, there's a list of 60 countries which would not be allowed as of yesterday. This gets revised every two weeks. So every two weeks there's a new list coming out and our government then kind of opens and closes certain countries to come and visit. Now, I literally, just before I got in, uh, on this podcast, Engin, one of my very good friends and clients from Turkey, sent me a message and he's super excited because Turkey's not on the list of countries that cannot visit. So what I would suggest is if you are keen to start looking at Southern African safaris, drop me an email and I'll send you this list. It gets revised every two weeks and let's plan to go and photograph leopards together. And then I can help you to do it. <laughs> All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for lending me your ears. I'm going to ask one more time in this, and I, I, I might do this as a thing every episode, is the question of the day, right? Question of the day. When did you see your first leopard in the wild, and did you manage to get a decent shot of it? When did you first see your first leopard in the wild, and did you manage to get a best, a good shot of it? Because often, our first time is not the best, right? Anyway, that's me. Guys, wherever in the world you are, have a fantastic day. I will um, speak to you in the next episode. And like I said, I will be doing uh, uh, elephants. No, I've done elephants. What's the other two? Damn it, Jerry, you should know what this is. Oh, buffalo and rhino. I'll do those as well. And then we're going to go deeper after that. Guys, wherever in the world you are, good morning, good evening, and good night. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Have a good one.